0: And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer.
1: Hello there, everybody. I am Captain Jim Palmer, the dream business coach. I'm the founder of the Dream Business Mastermind and Coaching Program, author of these six books here. I'll tell you about that later on. And I'm also the creator of No Hassle Newsletters, the extraordinary done-for-you newsletter program used by over 1,200 small business Small business owners in nine different countries, but most importantly, today I'm the host of Dream Business Radio. Now in its tenth year, this is episode 538. Wow! It astounds me every time I say that. So, um, Nadine, how are you doing today? I'm sorry, I'm a little, I'm a little all over the place today. How are you doing, Nadine?
2: How are you? And my goodness, congratulations! That is quite a record—ten years and 538.
1: I know. It's, it seems like yesterday. Not really. It seems like 500 shows, but, <laughs> but it, no, they're all good. Um, hey, folks, this episode, um, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to properly introduce my guest, Nadine Keller. I'm just a little disheveled today. It's, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Anyway, this episode is brought to you by the Dream Business Mastermind and Coaching Program. If you are an entrepreneur, a small business owners tired of slow to no growth in your business, If you're feeling overwhelmed, unfocused, but especially if you'd like to learn how to create multiple streams of revenue in your business, then you want to check out the Dream Business Mastermind led by me, Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. You can do that at dreambizcoaching.com, dream, B-I-Z, coaching.com. All right, let me reclaim my professional mantle here. Nadine Keller is president and CEO of Precision Sales Coaching and Training. Her firm has provided strategic programs for tens of thousands of sales professionals with measurable results. Her expertise crosses sales, marketing, and communications with a focus on helping organizations drive sales behavior to achieve their goals. And throughout the 80s, I'm sorry. Throughout the 90s, I almost dated you. There. Throughout the 90s, I'm as the director, of, I am. I know, as a director of sales. Apologize, sales and training for the Chase Manhattan Bank. Nadine developed an in-depth understanding of how to use training to drive strategy. Nadine served as the personal communications consultant to the vice chairman and was later appointed director of marketing for a global bank. Wow, some big clients and experience there. In 1998, Nadine left Chase to start her own consulting practice. She worked with numerous Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100 companies across many industries with a focus on complex business-to-business sales. Frustrated with the limitations of traditional classroom training, she looked for an even more effective and efficient way to develop sales effectiveness. And this work has culminated in the creation of precision sales Coaching and Training in 2006. What is with my words and my numbers today? Nadine's most recent book is called Make It All About Them, Winning Sales Presentations, which is how I titled this interview um nadine i i apologize for stumbling over my words today we we haven't had much sleep in the last week or so but welcome to dream business radio i'm thrilled to to have you with us
2: well thank you for having me
1: (laughs) and you got that big clock when i met nadine i said look at that Are, are you in london is that big ben that is one ginormous clock
2: Keeps me, uh, keeps me on my toes. There you go. So
1: Nadine, you've had a, a tremendous career, and you know, in in corporate America, and and I know you're excited to impact even more business owners and companies. Um, with all of that time in corporate America, I was, I'm curious if you had that little um, uh, entrepreneurial itch, as I sometimes call it. Did you sometimes were you always thinking about eventually I'll go out on my own, or was there some some event, life event that kind of made that happen for you? No.
2: Well, I I guess a combination of the two, but uh, I am, I consider myself a serial entrepreneur. Okay. Um, So in addition to what was on the resume, I also had a a patent on a dog collar um, and a dog collar business for a while, which I I sold. So um, I love entrepreneurship. And it did, in fact, there was life event, too, which is, of course, you know, being a, a new mom, I timed my consulting, um, the beginning of my consulting journey um, with being a new mom so that I would have some mm. flexibility. And there you you go. Know, it has served me well.
1: So I'm guessing I probably know the answer to this, but I'm sure you appreciate the on with all the challenges being an entrepreneur in in control versus corporate America where you're kind of at somebody else's beck and call. Does that agree with you?
2: Ah, uh, absolutely, big big difference. And actually, Jim, when I you know left Chase, well, I was fortunate enough that Chase became my first client and oddly enough JP Morgan became my second and mm. we know what happened to the two of them which is never a good scenario when you're yep. a consultant to have your only two clients merge um, but it me <laughs> you down to
1: one <laughs> yeah
2: it forced me out in the industry and I learned very uh, very early on that as an entrepreneur you're you're really um you, you, you know, are at risk of mergers and changes in, especially if it's B2B, right? Changes right. in leadership and all of that. So it forced me in a situation of really um, needing to market my own business. And as I was just going to say, in the time that I became an entrepreneur, I mean, it was really before, I mean, not before the internet, but before we were using it like we were today mm-hmm. and- all the technology. So I was leaving a situation where I had an administrative assistant and a team and all of that. And then you don't have that. And you don't have, you know, what we have today as a support. So it was an interesting time.
1: Yeah. Um, so I love your book. I, I was I was uh, speed reading that in preparation for the interview, and I want to focus on uh, some of the things in there. Did you always like sales? Were you always good at it? I mean, did you did you start in sales, or was that kind of an acquired skill? I mean, sometimes we learn later in life. Wow, I'm really good at this. What What was your path?
2: Well, I always loved people, and uh, okay. and I always was curious. And mm-hmm. so, while I may not have consciously thought, "Oh boy, I love sales," um, it, uh, unconsciously, I think I was drawn to it for those reasons, and also being in service of people. and in, in today's world, um, you know, sometimes we think sales is something that you do to someone. Um, and I look at it as something that we do for someone. Um, so that has made it easy because, you know, sales has got a bad rap, right? And mm-hmm. Um, For a lot of uh, good reasons, Um, but because there's been some bad sales behavior out there. Um, But if you look at it as I do, which is being in service of your, you know, the person that you're talking to, I think it's a terrific um, practice and and discipline that I just love.
1: Yeah. Um, I know that you recently, um, I think last year you were telling me that you've interviewed over 100 Women entrepreneurs, which I think is pretty cool, and you're you're doing something or, or studying or developing a program about the feminine side of sales. D- do I remember that correctly?
2: Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so with the you know the precision business is 18 years old. It's focused on Fortune 100 companies, and about a year ago, it occurred to me that as much as I have loved that work. Um, I wanted to bring together my experience as an entrepreneur with my sales disciplines and, and best practices that we've developed over the years and serve women entrepreneurs. Because when I started my business, there weren't a lot of people out there to help people like me. Um, but before doing that, and I actually brought on a partner um, to work with me on this, and before we developed any kind of a program, we said we want to interview a minimum of 50 women entrepreneurs
0: mm-hmm. so that
2: we could understand the challenges, and we, th- that e- e- experience was so fruitful. That we decided to just continue to do it. And in fact, we are still interviewing now. Wow. And yeah. And a lot of themes, you know, surface that help us helped us to develop the program that we have today.
1: You know, back in the day, I'm, and this is back in my day, I'm not gonna date you like I almost did with your introduction, but back in the day, there's Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy. There was a lot of men. I don't recall a lot of, if any, women. That were writing books about sales. Am I wrong or? You
2: are absolutely right. In fact, okay. Jim, when I had this idea and just a year ago started research, one of the ways I did it is I went on um, YouTube and I searched for um, sales, right? And okay. selling sales and all of that kind of stuff. And I am telling you the first 60 videos that came up, I didn't get to a video with a woman before the 61st video.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: I know. And what's interesting (coughs) is that in our research, um, a lot of consistent themes came up. But one that came up was that women are uncomfortable with sales and they don't want to be salesy. And I think that it's not only women, right? It's men as well. Yeah. But when we think about it, you know the sales processes that we have today were developed in the at the turn of the century, they've evolved some, but it was a male dominated world out there. Yeah. Um, so I think women can feel uncomfortable um, with that. and I also think that men can benefit from the the female energy um, when we take a look at sales.
1: Well, the amount of females in the workplace today compared to even the
2: 80s is dramatically higher, right? Absolutely, absolutely. But women approach, and in fact, it was interesting because I did an article, I think it was for Inc., um, a few years ago about selling to women and how women buy differently from men. And it's often not um, discussed really, you know, it's, we assume that we're all the same buyers yeah. and just like, we're not, we're not also, we don't approach sales the same way. And it's not that one way is better than the other. It's actually the combination <laughs> of the female and the male energy that really can be the most powerful.
1: One of my clients a few years ago is a, um, she's a lawyer, woman, life coach and stuff, but she was teaching, uh, mostly women life coaches, the business side of life coaching, where it's more than just a passion hobby. I want to have an impact. Well, it has to be a business too, right? Yeah. And she used to say, "Jim, my biggest problem is I hate sales. I think mm-hmm. it's icky. I think she used the word smarmy, and just all it felt yeah. weird.
2: A yeah, lot of those words.
1: Yeah. So is that is that what? Is that pretty common across the, the 100 plus interviews you're doing now? Uh,
2: very, very mm-hmm. common. I mean, mm-hmm. in, it's one of the strongest themes. We have about three top theme- themes, and this one was uh, was one of them. And it's that feeling of, you know, you think about the used car salesman, right? Mm-hmm and so of course that's not what the true practice of selling is about where the true practice of selling is to really understand and help the client to understand their needs and their opportunities and then determine together if it makes sense for you to work together or not and it takes the pressure off of you know i've always been fascinated with closing techniques, there are so many closing techniques. Right, puppy like dog clothes and the you know, and the Columbo
1: close,
2: <laughs> close. And for me, um, closing is is really just a natural uh, evolution of of the conversation. Uh, and where the magic happens is in the earlier parts, right? The understanding of the needs and and positioning potential solutions in the context of those needs.
1: So just curious, and, it, and this is sometimes happens when I get really into a topic, I kind of forget the question I want to ask you and I just go, <laughs> I'm curious, are women uh, more vocal about Some of these objections, or how it feels, and men don't feel right to say it, or men are they just tuned differently and and they're okay doing what's always been done?
2: I think a little bit of both. So, of course, in my career, my 14100 career, I worked, I would say, we focused on financial services. Right. I would say 90% of the people we worked with were men. And yeah, men don't like to be salesy or pushy either, but mm-hmm. I think women tend to be a little bit more, you know, sensitive to it.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, so in your book, Make It All About Them, Winning Sales Presentations, folks, which you can get on Amazon. Um, you, I, It was interesting that you broke it up into three sections with different uh, bullets under each, but you, what you present, which is the message, the skill, how you say it, and then the materials what we say with it. Um, you know, it seems like some of the other books, which by the way, some of the ones I've mentioned on my bookshelf today, but it, it's like, they're they're huge. And your book is a little more um, concise based on these three sections. I'm, I'm sure you did that intentionally because it's your book, but can you talk a little bit about how, how and why you set up the book like that?
2: Sure. So the book, <laughs> um, you know, again, this came out when I was working with the Fortune 100 you know, companies. Mm-hmm. And we were doing a lot of work in finals presentations, but which were very formal um, kind of uh, beauty contests, right? Where in it, they might be billion dollar deals. And we're gathering a group of people together, sales, the sales team that is presenting to a buying committee. And so the first thing that I wanted to kind of get the point across is that we all think it's about the what. It's about the content, what you say. Right. It's really about how the client experiences you, and this is everything that's in that book applies to B two C sales or smaller sales as well. Which is there's more at play than just the what. Um, there is how you if you're if you're working with someone how you're interacting with them. Um, It is the, if you're using materials, how you're interacting with the materials, how you're bringing in the client, et cetera. So since I've been in adult learning all of my life, I wrote the book in a way, and this is how we approach our program as well for women entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. It is no nonsense. So, I believe in the power of storytelling. So, you'll get lots of stories in there. But what the reason why somebody's picking up this book is so that they can apply it to their own situations and that they can increase their sales. So, you know, I wanted to write the book in the simplest of ways so that anyone could apply the concept simply. And again, that's the same the same way we approach our, our program for women entrepreneurs.
1: I'm a big fan of storytelling. I think people get um, drawn into a good story and therefore they can learn something. You can kind of get them down this path, but some people are uncomfortable telling a story. It feels like, let me tell you about the features and benefits. Let me handle your objections. They get formulaic and, and, you know, almost robotic, which is the antithesis. I'm quite sure of what you teach, but for somebody who's, um, unfamiliar with storytelling or even uncomfortable
2: doing it. Do you have any tips in that regard? Absolutely. So everyone, well, first of all, let's acknowledge that we are all storytellers. You know, it's four o'clock here on the East coast and I can't imagine how many stories I've told at this point. Right. And people just aren't conscious of it. But when it gets to a business situation Um, We sometimes aren't well, first of all, we may not recognize the power of the story and a story is going to be much more memorable, much more interesting. Right. than any kind of facts and figures uh, right. along with it. Um, but there is a way to tell a story that is will ensure that your audience gets the point of the story. OK. And really simply what we recommend to people is be really clear about the point up front. Right. Let me tell you a story, Jim, that um, really emphasizes how you will get a return on investment right from this. We worked with a client last year, blah, blah, blah. Then I tell the story and I end it with, I tell you that story, Jim, because you too can expect that kind of return on investment. Hmm. So you
1: lead with what may be the punchline or the conclusion you want them to have rather than just launching into the story and then having them figure it out, or you point it out at the end, you go with right at the top.
2: Right. Well, we probably have all been in the situation where we're telling a story and, and then you're somebody's telling you a story and saying, you're thinking, why are they telling me that story? Yeah. We don't want that to happen in the sales process. We want to be upfront, right? Or, Interesting. or the scenario is you're the one telling the story and you're like, why am I telling you this story? <laughs> You can't remember. <laughs> so, and ironically, the better the storyteller you are. The more important it is to remember to tell the point of the story, because we're engaging people in a scenario, and it, you're bringing them in with you, right? And it's easy for them to forget. And mm. but in sales, it's really important to remember that. So we call it the sandwich technique. Nice point, story point.
1: Okay, so in the first in the first chapter, it's it's the subtitle of the book: "Make it all about them," in which you say it's more about. Um, working with you and not the what you sell, right? Because no matter what you sell, product or service, it's likely to be a commodity because there's a hundred other people doing it. So that, is that why you focus on the relationship?
2: Absolutely. Well, way? first and foremost, it, it should be about the client, right? Okay. And in sales almost sets us up for thinking it's about us where you've got the client on the other end saying, okay, what you got, you know, mm-hmm. And our tendency is to say, well, we have this and we have this and we have that. It's not about us at all. It's really about what we can do for the client. So it always has to begin with the client, their needs, their problems, their opportunities, and being able to really do a deep dive on this. On the B2B side, it's not just about what you think it's about. There are personal needs there that you have to understand in other drivers. And the same with the B2C side. When we engage in a conversation with someone, we really need to be able to go deep so that we are able to understand how and if we can help them and if our solution is right for them. And if it is, we will be um, able to present that in a much more compelling way than if we just kind of do some surface needs analysis.
1: I see. Um, So with your prior corporate experience, and now you work with entrepreneurs, small business owners, and corporate alike, but so in other words, you've seen both sides of the coin. It's interesting that when you're working with entrepreneurs, you're typically working with the owner, the buyer, the decision maker, right? But sometimes in corporate America, you have to deal with either the buyer or the head of this department, and they, they may or may not be the ultimate decision maker, right?
2: Oh, yeah. So um, in fact, we just did a webinar a couple of weeks ago at, um, you know, selling to corporates because Mm -hmm. it is very, very different kind of a sale. And there are some, we work with women in um, service businesses. So one of the, you know, one route to, it's not for everybody, but one route to really growing your business is to take it B2B. However, you've got to, if you just said, you have multiple decision makers, you may have procurement involved. Um, with multiple decision makers come multiple viewpoints, right? Mm-hmm. You can't even meet the decision maker. You've got um, formal proposals and things like that. So you there's, a, there's an art to all of that and, and a science to all of it. Um, But while the selling skills are the same across the board, you're always going to be making it about them, right? Um, You're always going to be doing a deep dive on a diagnostic to understand the needs and opportunities. It is a different context, the B2B and the B2C sales.
1: Seems to me the B2B sales, especially in, in in a corporation, you know, as, as, as a copywriter, the, the one job of the headline is to get them to read the next headline, then the, the, it just keeps building, right? W- which is kind of the essence of storytelling, if you will. But in a corporate environment, I guess if you're selling to major corporations, your job to go to this person is so you they can then introduce you to here and here. So it's you're, you're not giving your same presentation five different times, right?
2: Well, it's really first and foremost, <clears throat> understanding the buying process. Okay. Right? who the decision makers are. So that's where, and I think a lot of mistakes that people make is they are often afraid to ask the important questions. Because a question like, you know, who makes the decisions around here is not gonna feel very good for anybody, right? And so they they right. say, oh, I not ask that dis- that question. It's uncomfortable. But there's a way to do that that makes it comfortable for you to ask and them to answer. And that very simply is telling them the reason why you're asking and what the benefit is for them to answer. So it may be, you know, so that we make sure and include everyone that you want included here. Can you tell me a little bit about the decision making process? I see so that we can make it as efficient for you, right? So you got the benefit, you have the reason there. Okay. So so asking those questions about the buying process is important. And um, And then recognizing, you know, looking, I always suggest that to the extent that you can, as early as possible, bring on an advocate or a coach. And usually this is the person that brought you in, but you may share with them, um, in advance of submitting the proposal, you know, this is what I'm thinking. Can you take a look at it and see if it's on target? But really start to bring that person in as your advocate who will in turn begin to share information with you because they want you to succeed. Because
1: Right. Um I'm fascinated with the with the corporate structure and the differences, but uh, most of my audience are small business owners. So let me, I'll steer the last uh, five minutes or so in, in that direction. In the middle section of your book, Nadine, you write about speaking the client's language. What do you mean by that?
2: So you keep it simple, 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 simple. And so this is, you know, we live in this world of jargon, and when we're young. Using that jargon almost makes us feel like we're a part of the club, mm-hmm. right? They have a secret language. Well, we don't want to have a secret language when it comes to clients. We want to be as, as simple, plain as possible. So plain old English. It's all about helping people, you know, it's, it's about connection. And when you use jargon... We know from research that, well, two things can happen. One is the more jargon a person uses, the less trustworthy they're perceived. Right. And then even if the jargon is somewhat familiar um, to the person that you're speaking with, it is we have to kind of jump out of our full listening for a second to think about that word and what it means. And then we've lost them a little bit. So keep it, keep it plain. And then of course, yes, mirror their, their language. If they're using particular adjectives to talk about their, their problem, we'll want to use that, those, those words. Right. And those can also be help us trigger getting deeper. If somebody, you know, says that we're looking for a, you know, a uncomplicated, this is a bad example, <laughs> an uncomplicated solution. Yeah. That's an opportunity to, as we say, double click yeah. on and say, can you say more about an uncomplicated solution? So that's a way to mirror back their language.
1: Yeah. So I, I cut my teeth and learned how to be a salesman 40 plus years ago in a bike shop. And um, one of the things I learned back when the bikes were 10 speeds, <laughs> 10 speed bikes, <laughs> wow, right. I know. And, um, actually I invested in a uh, sales training program that was on VHS tape that we watched. And one of the things I learned, and it stuck with me all these years is that when you, when somebody comes in and looks at a bike and you go, well, it's got a chromoly frame where it's got aluminum wheels, or it's got this, that, and the other thing the, a lot of the customers may not understand what you're saying. You're giving them facts. It's honest, but they don't, and they're not going to say, I don't know what that means. Right? So it goes over their head and they're, you're not making a connection. So if you, I, I learned that if you do say something like that you then explain why it's important, which means it's very lightweight, it's strong, it's gonna get you up and go. That's so, all
2: about features and benefits, right? Yeah,
1: and that's the but that's the I felt that was a good example of when you use jargon that goes over somebody's head, you're you're not connecting.
2: You're you're not connecting, and you're not the problem is is that we're so focused on what we're gonna say that we're not truly listening. And I have I remember many, many moons ago. When we were bringing an au pair over from Germany, my husband and I went to get a used car for her to drive. Mm -hmm. And um, the car salesman asked me the question. So, you know, which is great. How are you going to use the car? I explained that we had a, you know, a no pair coming from Germany and she would be taking my little ones to school, which horrified me every day. Right. And he takes out a car and he starts talking about how it goes from zero to 60 and less than whatever. Oh, great. It is, right. So you, yeah. can do the, you can ask the question, but if you're not listening, right, and especially to the emotional piece of, of what my needs were, you know, he could have just as easy talked about the airbag system or. That's you know, right.
1: Or, or how how secure the, the restraints are that hold the child seat and the, and the side door panels, everything that's important to you. Zero to 60 with your kids yeah. in a, going to school is not important to you. Yeah,
2: that does not work. Right.
1: Oh, my goodness. oh uh, we got about two or three minutes. I want to squeeze in um, another. See if I can get in two. Um, anticipating and answering questions. That's another section of your book. Does that refer to the objections and you handle them up front so they don't come later or something else?
2: Well, to the extent that you can do that, that's great. But um most people will um mask an objection as a question. Mm-hmm. But not every question is an objection. So it's important that we think through what are the likely and to the extent that you said, you know, you can anticipate, especially, you know once you get and we work with our women entrepreneurs a lot on this is understanding who their ideal client is and once you really get a deep understanding of that you can also understand what are those potential objections and you can preempt them by putting them you know even in a Q&A on your website Um, or if you're sensing it in a sales conversation, you can preempt it them as well. Hmm. Uh, But the idea here is to be thoughtful about what are those likely objections and to, you know, think through and not assume what people mean by their objection. That's probably the biggest mistake people make as they've heard it before. Mm -hmm. Um, So they they jump to addressing it instead of fully understanding it. So if somebody says, you know, this just seems like it's gonna take too much time instead of saying, but it's only gonna take, you know, we can do it in this amount of time, blah, blah, blah. This may taking too much time could mean 15 different things, right? right? So we have to stick with and say, can you say more about when you say time, what do you mean?
1: Yeah. So ask a clarifying question. So you make sure you're going to give the right, an answer to the, to what they're asking. What
2: the real issue is.
1: Yeah. Very interesting. I I knew I would love this conversation. Nadine, thank you so much. How can people connect with you? I mean, do you want them to go to Amazon for the book? You can give out your website, whatever you'd like to do.
2: or The book is Make It All About Them, but our website is Precision Sales Coaching and Training. And um, as I said, we're interviewing women entrepreneurs and service-based businesses. And we, anyone of your audience who fits that, we would love to talk to you. Um, we also love to talk to men as well, so I don't want to <laughs> just um, that. Um, but in exchange, we make sure that um, that we add value, um, and I think we have a pretty good track record of doing that in every interview we've conducted.
1: That's awesome! Thank you so much, Nadine. I, I really uh, really enjoyed the afternoon. I'm sure my audience got a lot out of it as well.
2: Great. Well, thank you, Jim. It's been a pleasure. Hey, folks, that wraps up this
1: very special interview with my guest, Nadine Keller from Connecticut and Precision Sales Training. I highly recommend you connect with her, follow her, get her book, and learn from her. You can connect with me, other than this podcast, at com. That's my home base. Again, if you're interested in joining me and about 27 other smart entrepreneurs in the Dream Business Mastermind, that is Dream Biz Coaching, Dream B I Z Coaching.com. And here's what I was going to tell you before I've, as part of my uh, legacy building program, because that hair on my face is quite white. So my my time is limited now, not too much. I've made all six, all six of my books free as digital. So you can go to Amazon, download the Kindle, Barnes and Noble, if you're into the Nook books and they're in the iBook store, totally free, no opt-in, no nothing, just to get a great education, courtesy of me. But that's it until this time next week, another fantastic interview. I am Captain Jim Palmer and I'm the dream business coach. You take good care.